I don't want if it's off color. Hey, we're live, bro. Awesome. <laughs> we're going with it. <laughs> yeah, it was super random too. Like we just Apocalypse just Now is like all time, all time movie. Yeah, entertainment, and current, entertainment value, and like just genius movie making. Absolutely genius. Past everything I heard about Marlon Brando, an actor. Sounds like he was a nightmare on set. Really? And just didn't want to learn his lines. And But he, he comes across as a genius in the film, so. But yeah. I, I had totally forgotten about uh, the surf-obsessed commanding officer. Yeah. That's when the, uh, the American helicopters... Are moving in, yeah, onto the beach, right? And you got what's his name? Um, I just thought Colonel Slade, but that's that's from, from um, Son of a Woman. Um, we have uh, what's the guy's name? Robert Duvall, yeah, with the flat brim army cat, and he's like, that is Robert Duvall, isn't it? And also, like, yes, it is. That's when he's like, wow. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah. The, the, yeah, it's, it, it, it smells like victory. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like chock full of lines like that. And also, you know what? Also, is like, wait a minute, that's him. So, Martin Sheen, right? Yep. Yep. He's like, I watched it a few years ago and it's like, that's Charlie Sheen. So, like, no, 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 no. It's too, wow. it's too early. It's like, yeah. was it 79 or something like that? It's like that's Martin Sheen, I and mean, they look like identical. Well, it's but, cool that they both they both had their their uh, Vietnam movie, you know. They yeah, let's see, what is what is Charlie Sheen has what? Platoon. Oh my god, those are like both like you know in the canon classics of, canon yeah. of like of of war cinema, like Vietnam. So our, yeah, Apocalypse Now, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, um, and like that's the. That's the trifecta. The trilogy there. What about Predator? Yeah. What about Predator? Oh, dude. I mean, okay. So, like, Predator. <laughs> That's not based on a true story. <laughs> well, absolutely. You just you wouldn't know about it. Uh, oh, now that I'm really getting into it. Yeah. You know. But yeah, pre- like Predator, Gladiator. That was another one of those like you must watch if you're a young man in the Braveheart. Oh, Braveheart. I mean, I think it just stops with Braveheart for me. Yeah. I mean, when that came out, that was like 94, maybe, and maybe 95, 95, I think. And I was just like in eighth grade. I remember, oh my gosh, I remember the first time watching it. I was sitting in my family with my dad and my sister, and I was like in the chair in the corner, and like a scene came on, and uh, they had that the, the beautiful like bad pipe music and everything. And Wayne Wallace is like got, uh, horse trotting around the countryside and this music and everything. And I was thinking about my girlfriend and like how like she like, broke up with me and I was like crying in the corner <laughs> and my dad's my, my, my and Linda's like, uh, dad, my dad's like, are you okay? And Linda's like, he's, he's not crying about the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's just upset. It's just, I mean. it got me in a moment, you know? <laughs> Yeah, Mel Gibson has like. Did, cool, you, did, you? did you like uh, the Patriot? As yeah, yeah. I don't think on the same level. No, there's not, there's an element of it's an interesting point. You know, obviously it's like America. It's, it's the the revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there's an, a romantic quality of unknown like when you, you see movies that are like kind of go on over in europe or on the other side of the world it's just like it's like you know the the uh, peloponnesian war i'm like wow oh my god thermopylae like wow there's just like so yeah. a lot of myth to like it that just i don't know just it um does it for me you know one of my uh if I were ever to make a career change and have the determination and I know what you're going to say ability, but teach history. Well, Oh, I would love to teach history. You love, you love history. I, know that. I love history, but the, since HBO has been coming out and doing all these like mini series and stuff like that, and you, know, you had the success of band of brothers and the Pacific, yeah. I think they should do a series like that with that kind of production value based on the second Punic war with like Hannibal coming over the Alps and uh, Scipio going down to North Africa. And like, that would be. It's so funny that you bring this up because I was just talking with who about this. I was on a walk. Oh, is it my friend, my buddy, Trevor. Yeah. My buddy, Trevor Goss, who's on the podcast probably about a month ago, a high school friend of mine. And I'm like, the, it, it, it fascinates me to no end that that story in particular what really gets me is when hannibal is outside the gates of rome right Mm -hmm. and he's like he's he's destroyed he's wreaked havoc and ravaged the whole boot of italy down to rome and he's like i'm ready to uh go attack and and take down rome and um and achieve the goal and he's like but i'm not gonna because i don't have enough troops and he's like and he's and he like radios back you know he sends envoys to carthage and they're like no, you've already used all your your allowance is up. You're on your own. Bro. And he stays there, bro. He stays there for 10 years. Yeah. Then camped outside the gates of Rome while Scipio is just like, you know, going to school on Hannibal, but like 10 years. And it was like, yeah. what a, what a, what a, uh, like a failure on Carthage's part. Like, drop that ball. Well, I, from- I'd say. I'm not like a I'm not like a deep Punic War historian, but that's why you want the series. The you know, it would be epic. From what I understand, is like it 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 just kind of wasn't seen. They weren't trying to win a total war, like a absolute hundred um, percent defeat of Rome. It was more of just like a we want you guys to to back off and leave us alone, and so. Yeah. Uh, you do your thing on your side of the Mediterranean and we'll do ours in Northern Africa. Just leave leave us alone. So the idea of destroying Rome didn't really, I don't know. I don't know either, but he was, he was ready to do it. He's right there, dude. You know, anyway. All right, Tony Peck, you're my man. Uh, You've turned, you're turning in certainly to a really good friend of mine and, uh, uh, and and a cousin, you're my cousin, you're my cousin, man. My, uncle my father's older brother dave is married to uh tony's mother of virginia and they happen to live in virginia and uh <laughs> the irony of coincidence i mean there's gotta be, there's gotta be something there's gotta be something in there <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh virginia is a beautiful soul and uh so is tony so uh on veteran it's it's 11 30 on my time so we got a half hour, dude. We'll roll right into Veterans Day. Oh, I feel like perfect. it's like I feel like it's like yeah. New Year's Eve. We're gonna drop on it. Yeah, this is the latest I've been up and like podcasting <laughs> and like I don't know. 
Yeah, it's past my bedtime. And Luke, yeah. My kids are going to wake me up at five in the morning. I appreciate you staying up. Luke <laughs> yeah. text yesterday. I'm like, hey, we got, we should do this, man. Um, but anyway, Tony was uh was in the, once you're a marine, you're always a marine, correct? That's what they tell me. You're in the court. Okay, my six All pack right. is is long faded, but yeah, want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're doing it remotely yeah um so he's a marine he was a marine um and uh so uh and he went over to afghanistan correct yeah iraq and iraq first and then afghanistan and you did you did two yeah two, two tours yeah i was in for just four years and got out and- let me ask you like a kind of initial sort of question or whatever um what was your motivation in the beginning to like military you know, this is uh, like a critical, crucial question uh, <laughs> that so many veterans, I think, really actually struggle to answer or yeah. the duty service members struggle to answer sometimes. Yeah. Um, I would say with 100 percent honesty and transparency, my my situation was I had gone off to Lynchburg College kind of aimless didn't know what i wanted to do with my life and i knew that i i wanted to play lacrosse but i wasn't really like motivated or good enough um maybe if i'd spent more time trying and training could have but i i just i didn't have any direction and i think that an issue for some young men and women is if you don't have direction at that age it's very difficult to self-motivate and find purpose and so I come from a military family, you know, basically everybody, I always joke that it's like Lieutenant Dan's family without all the death. You know, we just have family members going back and fighting in every war uh, back to the revolution, actually. Um, and I even, I think we, on uh, my mom's side, even to the French and Indian war. Um, but anyways, uh so there's blood i mean there i mean there is something to be said i think for number one like knowing that you know maybe a little bit of a placebo there but also like you know you get things passed down and that's you know it's hereditary it can be hereditary well, it's, there's definitely some obstinance in the family and and uh some ego probably uh but for me it was i didn't know how else to prove myself at that age. I I felt that I was capable of more than what I was doing. And we were at war, you know, it was, it was, um, Bush was still president. Things weren't going well in Iraq or Afghanistan at the moment, you know, everything had kind of been shifted from Afghanistan to Iraq and the second battle of Fallujah happens later on in high school for me. And so it it happened simultaneously with YouTube coming out. And so I know a lot of us grew up uh, Marines and service members of my generation grew up kind of watching YouTube uh, before it was heavily policed. It, it, you would see straight up gun battles, you know, like Fallujah fights, firefights. There was a famous video of like a, uh, Taliban insurgent with an RPG getting gunned down in the streets of Fallujah. And I, I will always remember that video. And um, so it just kind of, it just resonated like, okay, if I can't go off to college and 
succeed that way, which I clearly was not capable of at the time, I'll go in the military. And my whole family is Air Force. And so me being me, it's like, well, I can't do that because uh-huh. yeah. you know, I can't. That'd be, be a little different. <laughs> that'd be different. <laughs> so, you know, I went into the Marine Corps. And um, since it was a time of war, there was the, the youthful ambition to test yourself, you know? And so yeah. I the infantry was the quickest way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what, like, 03? No, it was uh, 2007 when I went in. Okay. What am I thinking? Yeah, so I graduated high school in 2006. Mm -hmm. And and then I tried college for like a semester and a half, dropped out. And then a few weeks later, I I went to uh, boot camp. And funny story, I went to boot camp like two months early because my recruiter promised me a $3,000 signing bonus and me being an idiot, I didn't get that in writing. And so I didn't get the $3,000 dude. Just, just, he got me, dude. He bullshitted me. <laughs> yeah. So I went, if you got it, if you got it, if you got it in ink or something, if you put it, you know, you, you, trusted, right. the, you trusted the guy. I trusted the system. Oh, come on, man. But I went to Paris Island in July. So yeah, it wasn't, a time. it was very hot. That's Paris Island is California. No. <laughs> San Diego is is where the recruit depot is in California. Paris Island, South Carolina. It's that's right. Pretty close to Charleston, South Carolina. That's that's some uh, there and there that play South Carolina in July. Is, it's, it's, uh, it's humid. Brutal. It's hot. Brutal. It's miserable. Yeah. It's. I mean, nothing's nothing's fun about boot camp. Anyway, yeah. there actually is a lot of fun stuff, but yeah, uh, it 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 was very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Did you? So when you got there, um, you got the boot camp. How long was boot camp? Uh, what was it? 12 or 13 weeks? I, think it was, I can't remember if it was 12 or 13 weeks. Um, and so it, real quick, it's like broken up into three different phases. The first phase is basically you getting messed up and kind of they break you down mentally. Second phase is basically all of your weapons training. You go to the, the rifle range. And then the third phase is kind of like your your tests, your I think, what do they call it? Basic warrior training and uh, like your crucible and yeah. they make you into a Marine and then you graduate. So the first, the first segment, let's say it's like three months, right? Ish. Um, first yeah. month is like, Hey, it's like, does, are, are, you, are you, are you yeah. material? Like trying to, it's a vetting process. I would think. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, is, should we keep spending time on this guy? Let's quit. Well, you know, it's fascinating actually is, So people talk about an attrition rate uh, and like special forces training and stuff like that. There's a high attrition rate, right? Yeah. And, and, and I don't know how this is in the army or the Navy. I imagine it's very similar, but you sign that dotted line. You, you belong to the government and they're going to get you through boot camp if they can. And so you have people who uh, like, will they wash, they wash back or whatever. They get reset in boot camp and it takes them five, six months to get through but they'll push you through. And um, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a decent job. You might be, you know, cleaning out toilets for your entire four years, but yeah, they'll make sure that you go through on your property, basically at this point. Even if like, you're like, I'm, I don't want to do it. I quit. You know, they have, I, they have a concept. What is it? I think this is when you get to your unit though, there's a concept called failure to adapt, but maybe they, Maybe they can apply it earlier. 
there are people that, yeah, definitely mental health cases that, you know, if the person seems legitimate, they'll, they'll wash you out and you'll separate. It's basically like an annulment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they will try to get you through boot camp. Interesting. If you're really fighting it, they will make your life a living hell. It'll be like you'll be stuck in purgatory for five or six. How months. was it for you? I mean, the, that first month. I mean, you go and going in like you're like, um, I I don't. I need some help. I need some direction. I need some discipline. It takes a lot of self awareness for a young man to be like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm admitting that like um, this is this is what I have that needs needs work um that's the i mean all all the sort of like the rehab sort of thing the number the first step is the mission you know and you're like all right mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna do this um and so when you get in when you get in there um did you find yourself hardening did you find yourself like it, enjoy, not enjoying but like i'm in the right place i made the right decision or not so the first the first few days is a it is a uh what the fuck moment why why did i do this yeah yeah voluntarily put myself in this situation because you're being stripped of your your individuality right like yeah. and you're losing yourself and and to an american that is one of the worst things that you can do to us yeah. um, like don't you know who i am i'm important to myself uh but so you get you get kind of broken down and so i definitely uh, hardened to the situation, but not in the way that I was not the guy. I had buddies who were the like quintessential hardcore badass Marines, right? That was not me. I, I was, I was just always laughing and joking and getting in trouble for laughing. And I got a, I got big teeth, you know, like <laughs> easy for the drill instructor to see me laughing. <laughs> And then come over and, and mess my life up. And yeah. I was always getting in trouble for laughing. I, I It was probably about three or four weeks in that I realized that they couldn't really mess me up. And so I was just going to laugh my way through. And for the most part, I got through largely unnoticed, you know, but there were a couple of times where I really messed up. And one time in particular, the whole platoon got got uh probably. punished or whatever yeah i mean what for laughing what'd you do yeah it, it, i mean it's so dumb when i so every every night when you were they would get accountability of, of all of the recruits yeah so you can picture like a full metal jacket they're all standing facing inboard that central walkway right and yeah Time. everyone's in their like short skinny shorts and their t-shirt but you had to hold out this thing called your blue money valuable bag and it was it held your wallet and like if you were wearing a watch or i don't remember but like it had your money and your id that you brought to boot camp and you had to hold it out so the drone drone instructor could see that you still had it and hadn't been stolen this was the way they did accountability every night you pulled it out at attention and you would yell your number when it got to you and you would bring it down for whatever reason when it got i was like number 67 or 68 or something when it got to me i decided that i was going to squeal my number and so when you're holding it out you're looking you're looking at the guy to your right like, yeah so you can't see what's in front of you 
And so I squealed my number out high pitched as loud as I could. I just wanted to, you know, what, what's going to happen to me. What was your, what was your number? Like 67 or 68. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, I squeal the number, you know, as loudly as I can, like a screeching noise. And when I look forward and bring my hand down, my drill instructor is right there. Oh, you think that's funny, huh? You think that's funny? Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. (laughs) But it was not. I I know. I mean, it it was, but it's not. Like, it's all about context, right? We had to do this thing called scuzz scuzz brush the bulkhead. Did the the rest of your guys, like, laugh? Or they were like, oh, no. Tony. So Yeah, basically, like, you again. God this guy, dude. why do you <laughs> damn it, Leroy? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So you have this thing called scuzz brush in the bulkhead. You have this like super thick bristled uh, like brush, mm-hmm. and you have to get down to like a deep squat duck walk thing, and you have to like as fast as you can scuzz is what they call it from the center of the walkway to the bulkhead, which is the wall. So you have line like a line of guys on each side going to the wall and back to the center and the wall back to the center in this full deep squat and they had us do that for uh, i don't know like an hour hour and a half and uh we had something called a guide on which is a flag um which was like if you were a decent platoon you'd get your follow series or lead series guide on. It was like a thing of honor. Well, they had this kid, uh, the drill instructor had this kid. This uh, this is after, uh, this is, we were supposed to be in our racks asleep at this point. Uh This kid go in and piss on the guide on. And then the kid had to scuzz down the center of the walkway with this, this thing, the catwalk. Uh So he's like, he's like, rubbing his piss into the into what we're like cleaning great back and, forth. Great. <laughs> and dude there were kids crying their legs were given out kid vomited a kid slipped and busted his eye open um and they were like yeah i thought i was gonna get fucking shanked that night dude like i, yeah. thought, I thought i was fucked so that your that your 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 mates were gonna come after you yeah I, it was like a blanket party you know uh-huh like, beat you up uh, but the drill instructor from underneath, so we we're at the top, we we're at the third floor of the barracks. The drill instructor from underneath us, actually the senior drill instructor came up and was like, what the fuck is going on? And like corrected the drill instructor that was, I mean, clearly breaking the rules. It was, yeah, it was too much. It was, it was much. heavy. Yeah, it was heavy. Um, yeah. None of my, I didn't get shanked. I didn't get, I didn't get beat up. I didn't mess with you too bad. No. But, yeah. So you laughed your way through. Yeah. Oh, if not on the outside, only on the inside. It's like, I don't know. You got to like. Probably, I was probably crying on the inside. But on the outside, I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, right. <laughs> crying is like, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit better. I mean, laughing is a little <laughs> better than crying. You know? yeah. It's kind of funny that like, sometimes you can't tell if someone's, are you laughing or you're crying? Yeah. It's you're like hysterical. a similar, similar story. What's that? You're, just hysterical. you're hysterical in one way or another. Exactly right. <laughs> you're not. You're, yeah. You're not. Uh. You know. Asleep. You right. Know, you're stimulated in some sort of way. Yeah. yeah it's either really good or really bad. <laughs> so you got yeah. through that, mm-hmm. and then after the uh, after boot camp, then what? So then you go through then, infantry, um, and that, for us, that was in North Carolina, and uh, and then after that, you go to your unit. 
Um, so it's called being, it's going to the fleet. Like now you're a fleet Marine, you know, you're, you're actually assigned to a unit and mm-hmm. that's where like shit actually is kind of rough, right? Like boot camp, school of infantry, there's a lot of oversight occurring. Like people are paying attention to what's happening to the recruits and the young Marines. When you get to your unit and you're dealing with like guys who have deployed three or four times. So my super seniors, which were like guys who had deployed twice with the unit before I arrived. So my super seniors were, uh, I think they were Corn Gulf Valley vets. They were like, they're Afghanistan vets in Corn Gulf Valley. Operation Mountain Lion was a pretty intense operation. And then there were still a few guys who had been their seniors that were second battle of Fallujah vets. So like the unit that, that I got assigned to was a very, very heavily deployed veteran unit Mm -hmm. with collective PTSD out the ass. Oh my God. Um, So yeah, like getting to the unit was actually probably the most startling thing and a lot of hazing and stuff like that, which culturally there was a major shift underway when I, when I joined mainly the last couple of years I was in where hazing was trying, the leadership was trying to excise hazing, get rid of it. And because it had gotten pretty bad, mm-hmm. I wasn't hazed horribly, but definitely had some moments. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty rough until you're like a month or two out from going on your first deployment. And then your seniors start to loosen up a bit, and care about you. And because they go, they're going to need you. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Like, we got to yeah. come together as a unit here. And, and, you know, it's just human, it's human nature. Like, yeah, they've been picking on us for several months, but they've come to like us and they see us as their, you know, to use a totally uncouth word, retarded little brothers, basically. <laughs> he doesn't know how to breathe practically on his own, but, you know, we'll take care of Tony. We'll, we'll, keep, him, we'll keep him around, you know. Yeah, we'll keep him around. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of, we, we kind of. More than more than merrier when we're over there. Okay, right. we'll put him in front of us. Frank <laughs> is numbers exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else, you know. Yeah. Human shield. <laughs> yeah, probably is how they saw us. Oh um, my gosh! And then you get to your first deployment, and you know when you're out there actually operating, um, it it very quickly goes from you're a boot who doesn't know anything to you're a marine. That's like, it's a, a month or two into your first appointment. You finally feel like you've made it. Like you can wear the badge of, of, you know, I'm a Marine. I'm a real Marine now. You know, yeah. Because uh, the way people treat you uh, with, uh, with respect or just the way, I don't know, what you're doing has more gravity and, weight to it such that like you take yourself more seriously I, you're welcomed into the brotherhood welcome to the it's all about brotherhood i would imagine yeah and of the brothers. guys the guys who are directly over you your leadership the direct leadership the small unit leaders your lance corporals and corporals and sergeants they're they're kind of embracing you as one of their own now you know they'll still tease you because that's how it works but like yeah. you're one of them and once you feel like you're one of them one of us, once you're that, um, it's like a, a huge confidence booster and you just, you got that swagger now. Yeah. Yeah. I was going yeah, to say, since military is, and it needs to be so man, all these ranks and everything, it's very orderly. You have to respect your 
uh, higher ranking officer, like the whole salute thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, I would think a lot of uh, sort of the validation and they say confidence comes from um, the vibe you're getting from the people around you, uh, your, your, your peers, your superiors. Uh, I don't know about your inferiors, but you know, um, and unlike, unlike some professions, you're just like, I think I'm doing okay. You know, I, th- I think that was good. You know, like, yeah. you know, like kind of like if you work for yourself in a way, almost the opposite of just of being like a one man show would be being in an organization like the military. And when it's like, you, you know, where you, you know where you stand, bro. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, you like, absolutely do. But it's very interesting to, to, so I was enlisted, which means that, that I was uh, like a private and a, a, you went through the whole process. Right. Yeah, so I I was I I started out the lowest that you can in the totem mm-hmm. ranks, mm-hmm. and um, so I was at a time my last name is Peck. I was at a time Private Peck, which you know didn't work out in my favor at boot camp at all. Right, right. Um, I married an officer, so and she, well, when we were dating, she deployed to Afghanistan, and so I actually got to kind of you know afar experience what a deployment was like for her for 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 me and for my peers and my unit we went over as like we were our best we were our own best friends we we um were we had trained together we knew each other we it was just a very intimate tight-knit group of buddies um it's like deploying with a fraternity with guns you know like that's basically what it was Mm -hmm. For her, it was a solo experience. She she was uh, an executive officer that deployed to support um, uh, a maintenance squadron in Afghanistan, and so she she went over there on her own. She didn't know anybody when she got there. She was totally on her own, and so it, there are vastly just like anywhere there are vastly different experiences. But for me, what I can speak to is like yeah, the the way that you are accepted or not accepted by your immediate peer group is largely what matters to an infantry guy. I mean, if like, you know, the, the thought is like, you, they knew you were Marine material, um, you know, when you're at boot camp, you know, um, if you had, if you, you, I don't know, I would imagine even if you can do all the physical stuff and the mental things, but if, if they all, the officers see that you might not be able to, you might not fit in to that brotherhood. They might let you through, but like, you know, so um, what you're speaking to, there's, there's something that happens uh, and it's, it's a very brutal process. Uh, I don't know to what extent it still happens or how often it happened in other units, but speaking from anecdotal experience, when, when I first got to my unit and I saw it for every new generation of Marines that came in, there is a, a kind of, um, gut intuitive self-selection that occurs and very quickly even the marines that make it all the way through boot camp and school of infantry and they get to the fleet they get to their unit there is a self-selection that occurs and and those people are the ones that aren't deemed worthy uh that people don't trust it is not a comfortable experience for them and um you know they they oftentimes struggle a lot and and most of the time end up not deploying with the unit and so that i would say that you know out of 
200, 300 Marines that get to a unit, which would be a very large boot drop, but out of 200, 300 Marines, probably 15, 20 of them, maybe mm-hmm. uh, less than 10, like 8%, 5%. Yeah. yeah. They don't end up deploying. They don't, they don't, and that's, that's there. Make the cut. It's there. It's not, it's, is it their say or is it what the superiors or make the roster? I would think the latter, Depend, right? Dependent, probably a mixture of both. Yeah. I mean, it, it also like, uh, Maybe they're just not at the at the right in the right unit, you know. Maybe they're the wrong sort of like um, could be place I, I within the military. That's absolutely correct. I think there are plenty of guys that that didn't make it in the infantry that that would have done just fine and probably ended up doing just fine elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a different world. It's just a, it's just a little bit more primal and ridiculous of a world. Uh, a, a, a wartime infantry unit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was what? That was Iraq, right? Yeah. So Iraq was kind of by really any metric, Iraq was a relatively quiet deployment for us. Uh, but it was, it was just, we call it the terminology is kinetic. It was just kinetic. It was just enough action was happening. Uh, for us to come back and feel like we were veteran combat veterans is the term. A perfect example. Uh, enough. No, okay, okay, I got it. Enough went yeah, so, on there, such yeah. that you could, you could like, all right. We weren't we weren't running a gun. We're not we're not, we're not, a, on, vac- we're not on vacation. <laughs> right. It was a real deployment. Yeah. It, most of it was was pretty quiet. Okay, it's not it's not bad, you know. No, yes, things go. No, we no news is good news sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, like a perfect example of that is yeah. came home and I'd been thinking about Domino's pizza for like six months, right? Yeah. Seven months. I wanted a freaking Domino's pizza, and we get back, and uh, my mom and dad actually got. They came out and they had rented like a beach cabana because uh, I was stationed out in on Oahu, and. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've had a few drinks. I'm standing in this beach cabana, like I'm home for 10 hours. I weigh like 160, you know, I'm a stick and I want, I want a fucking pizza. And so I called Domino's and Domino's didn't deliver that far out. And so I start saying, like demanding, like giving this poor person on the other end of Domino's, like an order, like you will deliver this pizza to me. And she goes, I'm sorry, sir. We, we don't deliver there. We don't deliver to that. Head. So I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've been doing. I, I am a fucking am. combat veteran. You will bring me my pizza. And she's like, sorry, sir, I can't. And then hung up on me. There's a Chris, Chris has a picture of me on the phone getting mad at Domino's. Like <laughs> I mean, a video would be the priceless one. Ask but, Chris, uh, I'll have to ask Chris. I don't think there's a video, but there's definitely yeah. being like a wife beater yelling at some poor lady on the other end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a Papa John's down the street, you know. Well, I didn't have enough brain cells to figure that out. No, 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 no. <laughs> Domino's, man. I'm I'm a Papa John's guy. I like dipping sauce. Dude, it didn't even matter. It could. It didn't matter exactly. It could have been a DiGiorno. Like that stuff's good, but like it could have been cardboard with pepperoni. Because over there, you're eating what? In Iraq, to be fair, we didn't eat that bad. Afghanistan, it was MREs. For they. Yeah. There's like a squad sized MRE, but and we ate these like packaged 
military rations for like 90%, 95% of our food over seven months. Yeah. They're not, and they're what dehydrated meals, add water, heat them up, heat them up. Yeah. I, um, I think MREs actually aren't dehydrated. Uh, there might be some that you have to add water to, but no, you just, you just heat it up and it's, it's good to go. But yeah, Afghanistan was a totally different experience. We, we didn't have a, a main supply road or route. It's called an MSR that came down to where we were operating. Everything for the first four or five months had to be airdropped in. So like a C-130 or a C-17 would fly over and they'd push out these pallets with like uh, MREs, water and mail. And that was, that was our lifeline. The there, there's no, I mean, there's no running water there, right? So was that your water supply? Eventually they, yeah, for us, it was water bottles um, for everything. Event, like I didn't take an actual shower for four months. I took two water bottle showers. So I'd take like three or four water bottles with me. And Holy smokes. Suds up. Yeah, that was, there was about four months there where it was like, this is, this is real, real manly living here. (laughs) This is what I signed up for. Yeah, right. (laughs) But it was, dude, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Those four months, those were the best months. That it was that you want you wanted that experience. We got tested. We, we the I think the thing that a lot of guys starting to transition a little bit into the veteran conversation. What a lot of guys can really struggle with is never getting to do the job they trained for. And Iraq, if, if I, if the Iraq deployment had been my only deployment, I probably would have struggled with it, but Afghanistan was, it was everything that you, uh, needed to have happen in order to feel like you had been tested happened, um, at least to my platoon. And, uh, so you could walk away from it, you know, with, with mental issues and being exhausted and worn out. But you, one of the, the, so when you become, when you exit the military and you become a civilian again, you're stripped of your identity, right? You lose who you are. And so the guys who saw shit were tested, could still carry that with them. And I think that helps the transition. Um, Guys who never got to, to be, they never were, Providence never put them in a position to be tested when their identity is stripped away, when they become a civilian again, I think that that actually uh, kind of, I don't know. It's harder for them. I, yeah, that's my experience. uh, Certain cases. Yeah. It's fine. It's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. It's like, you basically want to get, you want to get to like the closest to the edge of like the abyss without falling in. Well, yeah, you want, you want to experience the things that you train for, but you don't want to obviously get shot in the face. Right. Nobody can. Yeah, no, nobody's, like, nobody's like, rooting for that. Get blown up, but, you know, but think about, think about uh, your lacrosse career. Like if you, if you had busted your ass, busted your ass, and mm-hmm. then you, you get onto the team at Duke mm-hmm. sidelined the entire time. Yeah. You never get to play a minute of live lacrosse at the collegiate level. That's what these guys are feeling. It's like, it's like they're humiliated. They shouldn't yeah. be, but they are. And yeah. um, 
it's out of their it's out of the, he said providence is a good word you know um it's it's like and again another sports sort of comparison i think it was it was yeah the pandemic it's just like all these all these teams um would just play they would just scrimmage themselves and there's practice and they practice and like their season was just like it was just like you know hammering each other hammering each other like what are we doing you know without seeing another color jersey you know without actually you know going into the having a game there's an element of like I keep with keep with the sports for one, or like one more minute um, of like when you're going against someone like a stranger. I don't know who this guy is. You know, I don't even know. I might know his name. He, I don't know. He doesn't look familiar. It's there's an uncomfortableness to that. You know, unlike if you're just going against. If I was going against you in the game, I'm like I know Tony. Do you know we're, we're, we're buddies and everything like that? Is it's more comfortable? You know, there's no real adversary. You haven't like. I don't think you're going to, you're going to, it's not going to sit well with you, what you, the, the, how far you're able to push yourself. If you never had a, a, a true adversary, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you guys play, uh, you know, the number one team in the nation mm-hmm. and you're going up against a guy that, you know, is like a top, top 100, top 10 mm-hmm. recruit coming out of high school, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then, you, you you literally square up with them, you know. There's a ground ball, and it's you and him. <laughs> You're gonna wreck face, right? Like that. That's the moment. That's for for the the infantry guy. The other dude is the Taliban, and mm. you get you get all the way down to that that lacrosse ball on the field, and you're both honed in on it, and you're not thinking about anything else. You're going for that ground ball, right? Like you're gonna get that freaking ground ball, and nothing else matters. It's not like you're not like you're deliberately not thinking about anything. It's just, you're so laser focused on getting that, that if, if you've just never, if you've never been faced with the real adversary, then you don't know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody that, that, that tries to join a combat arms MOS or job wants to know what that feels like. They're all in some way driven to understand what that moment's like. And, if they go through all that effort and pain and sacrifice and never get to experience that moment, well then they, they might, they might um, second guess the whole process. Second second guess the the decision to to go there. Cause I I was never able to either confirm or deny my uh, decision to do this thing, you know, resentments definitely. And it's like the same thing as like, you know, again, sports, it's like, all right, or well, just like boxing because that's i think that might be a, maybe a better example so if like you train 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 it's great great you know i feel hard i'm strong i'm confident i'm fast you get in there and you get knocked out in the first round and you're like yeah maybe boxing is not for me <laughs> you know yeah. it's like yeah yeah, I don't know. yeah. It's, uh, and then you have the guy that just gets up over or and over. you never yeah. you never go damage yeah yeah so anyway I, I get that i get that you know it makes sense but it's uh because usually you think about people that have a hard time about coming back into civilian life are those that experienced too much of it, such that there's like that scarring that went on. I mean, I, it's so nuanced that, you know, I, I don't think I know a single guy and, and this, this could be totally wrong. So take what I'm saying with, with an understanding that this, mm-hmm. this is my experience in my perspective. Yes. Difficult to know what's going on in other people's minds. 
but I, I can't, I can't say that I know a single guy that, that truly wakes up with cold sweats and is only bothered by the combat moments of his experience. Yeah. I argue that, that all of us are bothered by stuff that we did not expect to be bothered by. Um, you know, the way that I've explained it to my wife is there are the moments where you come into contact with the collateral damage of war and the stuff that you never prepared for, you never trained for, you never put yourself in that mental state and imagined it over and over and over again. Those are the moments, both when you're getting out of the military, and you didn't expect, like you didn't know what it felt like to lose your identity or when you're in combat. And it's not like, you know, it using your weapon to kill a Taliban fighter is not going to carry the same amount of emotional destructive power as having or accidentally or whatever, killing a child, right? Like that's a very, anybody can understand that. Um, so when you see civilian casualties or, uh, you know, you stuff, the collateral damage, the stuff that shouldn't happen, but happens. Um, that's where it's, I, the, it's the, the stuff that you, you don't, you don't, yeah, as you said, you don't expect, or you can imagine, or you're not, you know, you're never. This is you know, this is not as advertised. You're not, you didn't train for this. Um, you know, you're you're there to kill the enemy. Um, exactly. And uh, so when that happens, you're like, this is what I'm here to do. You know, it's, uh, I've and you have this like rehearsed it many I, times. A lot of guys, probably, you know, this might sound um, grotesque to some people, but. A lot of people have a professional satisfaction when they kill the enemy. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying that they're they're going to revel in it or they're going to, you know, glorify it. Some guys do, uh, but I think most people um, they at least have these this like internal uh, like we were trying to kill each other and I killed him. Yeah. I got the ground ball. It's as simple. Yeah, you got the ground ball. It's as simple as that. Doesn't make you better or worse than that person, but in that moment, you were faster. Uh, yeah, That's all that matters. Yeah. Um, were you into? It? Yeah, that wasn't necessarily you. You didn't. You don't have that sort of bloodlust. No, I. So no, I didn't. I. Um, you know what I found peculiar about uh, combat that I didn't expect was. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't chasing a kill or anything like that. Um, but I love, I loved being in combat. It is interesting. It's the best place to be Holy like this. So messed up, but the, the peace of mind that came over me now, I never, I never had a truly hairy situation, right? I never, was you know running down alleyways in Fallujah with RPGs blowing up in my ankles, losing buddies left and right of me. Like yeah. that's a hairy situation, and I don't think that my response to that would have been the same. All of the firefights I was involved in were 200 meters away from the Taliban, 150 meters away from the Taliban. But I, my mind just kind of like went into chill mode. I don't know how to explain it. It just all of the you know maybe I like I have. ADHD, so maybe all of the like sensory stimulus 
allowed me to focus or um, the adrenaline just kind of like got me a little high. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Firefight I was in felt like I just had this clarity of mind. I was totally relaxed. I was in the zone. Yeah, but you're in the zone in almost like a euphoric way. And Mm. Mm. so that was that was kind of confusing, you know, afterwards as you're kind of being retrospective and thinking about the event, you know, either that night or the next day, you're a little bit like, am I a sociopath? Like, why did I have that response? Mm -hmm. Um, But no, and I didn't honestly, I'll be honest with you. I did not know anybody that was having like a bloodlust. I I think that everybody understood what we were doing and, and the gravity of what we were doing. And, People use their weapons when they had to use their weapons um, and use them effectively. Sometimes they pull the trigger a little bit too much and wasted too much ammunition, but um, you know, people get excited. So, but yeah, trigger, trigger heavy. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. First time you get into a firefight, you're going to pull that trigger a lot Yeah, yeah. that you're pulling the trigger a lot. It's yeah. just how it works. All right, brother. I'm, I'm going to pause it. Okay. We're on part two now. With uh, Mr. Tony Pecker Garish, though Garish. Well, so now, but it's technically still Peck. I think. I mean, that my ID says Peck, but yeah, whatever. The adoption. So. Cool. Um, be awesome. Guess, I well, guess what day it is right now. Oh, oh, it's over over uh, over here. So, no. cheers, my friend. <laughs> Cheers, my, sir. It's twelve thirteen on my clock. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I was walking. Uh, I, mean, I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but um, I started working in, in real estate and really? like real, real estate development. Yeah, build like building and developing and stuff like that. Helping helping out this uh, this guy. He's doing a lot of work up in Kensington, uh, uh, ten minutes north of me. Yeah, and uh, I was doing something for him walking last last week to one of the properties. There was a guy in, in uniform. Whenever I see someone in uniform, I always say thank you. Well, you know, it's appreciated. It's an interesting. It's, it's appreciated. Yeah, it it, it is. It, it's an interesting conversation piece amongst veterans, though. Uh huh. Um, you know. It, it's like the grass is always greener. And the thing that I always have to remind myself is at least we live in a country that appreciates when people sacrifice something in that way. And 30, 40 years and 50 years ago, we didn't. And, you know, the veterans of the, of the, not the civil war, I'm reading a civil war book right now of Vietnam. They, they didn't get that kind of appreciation when, when they came home. And so there's a lot of vets that will like, the uh the VA you know when the VA was started I was, just saw this eighty nine eighty nine I would have guessed it it would have been earlier that's that's surprising later than I thought yeah exactly right that's interesting yeah I had no yeah the VA is like this talk about an adversary right like I think more people have more veterans have a deeper seated loathing for the VA than they do the Taliban or Al Qaeda. <laughs> it's like the enemy you know or that you don't know or something like that yeah <laughs> keep your keep your enemies close but your friends closer <laughs> yeah or just um, fuck the va the, what is it like, <laughs> like the is it so bureaucratic 
nothing gets done or something. I would. So there are a lot of people that promise you the moon for veterans at the VA, right? Like they, there are plenty of people out there that truly care about veterans working and are working very hard. Um, There are, there was a period of time where the VA was very backlogged. The employees oftentimes were uh, not the best and you had a lot of veterans who had very bad experiences. Um, yeah. Bad experiences uh, uh, deployed or with the VA? With the VA. Okay. There, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I got on. you. Um, but yeah. Need, they, need, more they fun, got need more funding? Need more bodies? Need, need probably, probably. Less bodies? Less bureaucracy? Yeah. Like, yeah. Not to be a government agency? Yes. Yes to everything that you just said. (laughs) Maybe we start start something, me and you. Privatize it. Uh, We we could try. I'll start fundraising like yesterday. (laughs) We need need trillions. Uh, Exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Uh, Congress is just giving away money at this point. Maybe we can get some of it. But yeah, I think the VA has largely fixed its its issues at this point. Good. Good, 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 good. Yeah. So, do you, do you? I mean, you were in the in the zone, and also sort of like a euphoric sort of thing when you are in like a firefight, when you're in con combat, whatever. Yeah. That's, how many how many times did that actually happen? Like real firefights for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, you tell me. So, so there's like there's a difference between getting shot at a couple times, mm-hmm. you know, like being near an IED or something. Or like real firefights. So real firefights. You, I mean, you character. You said I think uh, con combat, combat, right? Yeah, like actual where you're slugging it out with with two or more Taliban members. Um, there is really, I would say the 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 climax of the deployment was a five day operation that we did. There was uh, so there's a, a, a place in Afghanistan called Marja. Mm-hmm. And there was this operation called operation Mashtarak. And the battalion that I was with was one of th- uh, three Marine infantry battalions. We had two battalions from six Marines and then us from third Marines. And then a couple of Afghan National Army battalions that seized this, you can't really call it a city, but this population-dense region of yeah. Helmand province. Um, so there was, uh, right before that, right before the operation commenced, um, my section, so there's maybe 16 Marines, Plus, we had a sniper team and we had uh, a couple trucks of Afghan National Army guys. We were supposed to insert with a, a British Army platoon, but they, their vehicles couldn't off-road um, to where we needed to get to. Only ours could. And surprisingly, Ford, uh, Ford Rangers. So advertisement for Ford, uh, mm-hmm. this channel um they the ford rangers that were being sold to the afghan national army uh or given to them could off-road better than british military off-road vehicles Mm. america um (laughs) 
Um, how, the, how the heck did they get them? Where, uh... Dude, I don't know. The British had some goofy vehicles. <laughs> like they just, they just, I don't know, it's like tea and crumpets. Yeah. These, no, I mean, yeah, like, like, like Land Rover, Range Rover. That's like notoriously like not a very good company or vehicle. Well, I don't. I just, I have. We got a, we got our mission brief breakdown from the British, the British officer, and none of we didn't understand what the fuck this guy said. Like he had the most rural English accent, like Cockney. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, but so difficult to yeah. get in there. We looked like a bunch of idiots. We're like, uh, sir, what do you say? Um, and he just—he was wearing a cape. Either he or another guy was wearing a cape. Sounds like um, the British make, did. Uh, yeah, they didn't make it to the firefight. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so they <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. acted along the way. You ever see the man who would be king? I have not. You got to see that movie. Uh, it's yeah. uh, Sean Connery and Michael Caine. It's like ah. Uh, Brit, Brits or South, South Africans are just like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go conquer one of the stands. And basically, yeah, this is like, I don't know when it was. It was, I mean, the movie was made, I think, in the 80s, but like maybe set back, I don't know when, maybe early, early 1900s, early 20th century. And basically, they're just like really really good like salesman just yeah. like and they're confident as all get out and they're just like waltz on in there and they convince oh, yeah. everyone the man who would be king they were like hey yeah. we're, gonna go, we're gonna go i want to be king we're gonna take over this area and you know put a crown and convince everyone that this is uh what we're doing and this is what you should do <laughs> the british the british bamboozled the world <laughs> i don't know but you know like i mean yeah you knew you know, i mean the largest empire of all time britain yep. Yep. You know, and everyone's and, like, looks at a map. You're like, what? But if you add and, up, and they all did it. The, they did it with like barely any, a very tiny standing navy, or their navy was was pretty big. Their army was like minuscule, and so they, would, an island. And they, yeah. they created these colonial dynamics. Correct. Like yeah. they would put a minority in charge of a majority, and it. it huh. Really? Oh yeah. So that's speak not, to that. Speak to that if you don't mind. Ah, oh, this is your 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 causing Going down a rabbit hole. Ancient, I I wish there was a rabbit hole worth of information stored in this brain, but it's it's more of just an empty closet at this point. Um, hey, you know what? We could, we could do a history podcast another time. You know, did you well, shoot? Did you shoot anyone? Did you shoot anybody that you know of? <laughs> Segway. Um, yeah, I I uh, I'm pretty sure that I did. Um, like the, dead. Well, I would assume so. I'll tell you about it. So um, the there's two sides to this answer. Um, one of which is uh, I was a vehicle commander. So my job was not necessarily to engage the enemy, but more direct fires. Um, not saying I was the best at directing fires or anything, but largely uh, there was a few times where I would just shoot tracer rounds at where I was seeing muzzle flashes of, of Taliban shooting at us. And then my gunner would, we had a Mark 19 in the truck, which is a heavy machine gun that shoots grenades. And so he would just put rounds grenades into where my tracers were going. He would follow my tracers. And then he was largely capable of just shooting muzzle flashes on his own. Um, so who knows, uh, 
from that side of things. And then the other side of things, uh, I was trained to use the javelin missile and the tow missile. So my actual job, I was, I had a specialty within the infantry called, uh, uh, um, anti-tank guided missileman. I was, uh, Oh three fifty two and I trained on what is called the tow missile and the javelin. And, uh, you know, fun little nomenclature tidbit. Tow stands for tube launch, optically tracked, wire guided missile. Um, anyways, like a copper wire spools out the back, and you can actually control the missile as it's moving. Um, cool. Like uh, and and that you remember the, the acronym. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's some something stuck. <laughs> yeah, some very few things stuck. Uh, <laughs> But so the javelin missile was a was a uh, fire and forget um, shoulder launched yeah. anti tank missile, and it had yeah. attack modes. It had a top attack and a direct attack mode. And one of the things that was kind of notoriously difficult about fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan is they would they would dig these what they called murder holes into the like three foot wide uh, mud walls of compounds. And so they would they would dig these these holes and then they would they set up their weapon on like a table or something a couple feet behind the hole and they would shoot at you through this hole. It was impossible to see where they were firing from. And they're and they're protected by that embankment, right? Yep. Yep. Like 50 caliber wouldn't get through it. Uh, Mark 19 wouldn't get through it. So it's like a, like a castle idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The like little slits that they would yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally it. Um, so I, I shot a, I shot a javelin in top attack mode to get at a machine gun position on, on the other side of, of the mud wall. And then we went and did a, the next morning we went and did like a battle damage assessment is what it's called. And there was an impact crater or it wasn't really a crater. It was just, impact debris and scorch marks on that corner um and the i fired the missile and they stopped shooting from that murder so, yeah so, you know, so it's it's impossible to say sometimes if you actually hit your target but um they either ran out of ammunition they either took that or took yeah. a nap or they're, no, a, no, they're no longer with us we were effective in firing the missile. It, it silenced the position. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like a very politically correctly worded. And, and yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm running. <laughs> I need to watch what I say. Um, Fucked up. Motherfucker. <laughs> they all died. Murder, death, kill. I killed um, them all. All right. So uh, I want to, tra- we're, we're going to transition to, um, you know, the stat, the veterans and, you know, cause it's veterans day, obviously. Um, but, uh, did, I don't know when you, when that, when you, your experience doing deployed and everything and you're in a, and you're in combat and all that, and you're shooting and you do the javelin thing. Um, that was, that was fulfilling to like the that silence. Was, of, that was the know? culmination of doing my job. That's yeah. what I was. Uh, that's what I was there was satisfaction for. in it. Yeah. Yeah. You slept well that yeah. night or whatever. I slept yeah, really I mean, well that night, actually. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, 
that's what you're there to do, man. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there people are trying to kill us. People, the people, the Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda, the Taliban killed multiple thousands of people on 9-11, you know, mm-hmm. um, and continue to try to do that. Uh, and what uh, I would say that night, just to, to get a strike back, how people to empathize with it. Um, yeah. Think about, think about like the hardest competitive sports game you ever played where you won. What was that night's sleep like? It was that. Mm-hmm. Like you went home, you were tired, mm-hmm. you were happy, you were excited still, there was still some adrenaline, mm-hmm. decent meal, and then you just racked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. It was that. You probably slept and you didn't like wake up until the morning. Just out like a rock, no dream. Yeah. I didn't move. And it's also like, you know, for people that might be like WTF, um, <laughs> be like, you know what? If someone enters my house, I'm going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone enters our country as a house or whatever, and like you know messes with us and then gets away with it, we're gonna find them and we're gonna kill them. You know, mm-hmm. similar idea. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, tell me that story before we got we jumped on the on the Zoom or the podcast, or whatever. You're talking. You're talking about. You saw one of your superiors in in, yeah. uh, in monument yeah, so, in monument. Yeah. So recently? I live in Monument, which is which is a town just north of Colorado Springs, and it's a very conservative town. A lot of military folks live here. Colorado Springs, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, is a hyper military town. Um, there's a lot of military installations here. That's uh, I mean that in that um, Air Force Air Force HQ Ground Zero for Air Force. It's so we got uh, we've got what used to be Air Force Space Command um, is here, and Space Force was going to be here, but I think it went to Alabama. I can't remember, but we've got NORAD here, Cheyenne Mountain Complex. Um, we got Fort Carson, which is an Army installation, Air Force Academy. It, there's yeah, Air Force has a huge presence here, and so does the Army. Yeah. Um, but monuments like a little bedroom community that's 10, 15 minutes north of Colorado Springs. And it's a lot of a lot of uh, military families and retirees. But anyways. Um, yeah, so I think this story, if I can tell it in a, in a kind of linear way, really demonstrates a lot of what, like what what it means to be a veteran, what you carry as a veteran. And then what's always kind of like rumbling underneath the surface for veterans. So um, in order to tell it uh, or in order for it to make sense of why it was impactful to see this guy the other day, uh, I'll share a little bit about, you know, one of, one of the rough days of my deployments. Um, So I had a close friend who, uh, ended up being killed by, he was, uh, he was lead Vic gunner and an IED went off underneath his vehicle and it flipped upside down and he was killed in the process. And I just so happened, my uh, squad happened to be, we were what's called mounted. We were in vehicles and we happened to be near by. And so we were one of the first responding units to this, to the scene. Um, we set up a security cordon, 
But as we were heading out there, we stopped to pick up our company commander and uh, so that we could escort him because we knew that there was a KIA. There was one KIA and there were three WIA. And uh, medevacs were currently on the ground. So we had to stop off and get our company commander who rode in my vehicle. And as we were driving out there, I had a gut feeling uh, that I knew who had died. Um, but, you know, I asked him and he told me that it was, it was my friend. Um, so, you know, that's obviously a shock, but then we got there and, um, and there were several very, uh, what I would say coincidental moments that occurred that evening. But one of the more striking moments for me was, um, you know, this guy had lived with me, his, so he got married, his wife was very close with my ex-wife and they had the two of them had moved in and lived in our guest bedroom prior to the, for six, five, six months before the deployment. So we knew them very well. And it's, it's dark out at this point and I'm standing next to a couple of the Marines nondescript. I don't know who they are. We've already gotten the body out and I hit me and three other guys had loaded them up onto a Blackhawk. They'd flown away. Um, and now I'm just kind of like standing there, chain smoking marble red, staring at, into this crater. And uh, I don't know who's standing near me or I can't make out features of anybody around me. It's dark out. There's some headlamps moving, but that's about it. And so this Marine walks up to me in the dark and goes, hey, are you with weapons company? You know, close enough. We were detached at this point, but yeah, sure. And he goes, hey, can you make sure this gets to wherever it needs to get to? And he handed me a folded up stack of, of photographs of my buddy and his wife. And um, it just it was just coincidence that this Marine was giving them to me. He was literally the first unit that arrived on scene hmm. and he gives them to me. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit like shell shocked, like anyways you know so yeah i'll make sure and then he walks away and i'm just kind of sitting there not really thinking and next to me my company commander happened to be the guy standing next to me which i did not i was not aware of and he goes did you know him and i say yeah or yes sir he goes all right um do you know his wife and i said yes sir he goes all right can you make sure that these get that those get to her i said yeah um, and by the way, it took me two years to give them to her. It took me a long time. But um, so that was the last time I had a real human interaction with this guy. Um, you know, after that, I was like, our platoon was way down south in the AO. It was just coincidence that we were up there for that event. Anyways, we got back. He moved to a different unit. I, like, I just didn't interact with this guy again, conversationally. Um, and so that was in April of 2010 and last Sunday, and that was, that was in Afghanistan. Last time I saw him and we were stationed in Hawaii. That's where our unit was from. And last Sunday, I take my boys out to like basically a hole in the wall diner here in town and I'm leaving I got my, you know, my two boys crawling all over me and I look over at this booth 
next to the, the door and there's this guy and he's sitting across the table from this other guy who I don't recognize, but I recognize him and my brain is, you know, like trying to catch up. Yeah. I know him. He's a Marine. Who is that? Wow. I walk over to him and go, Hey, what is your name? What's your last name? And he goes, uh, you know, he tells me his last name and I go, you know, I'm Corporal Peck. I, I, I was with you in Afghanistan, weapons company, one, three. And his face, he just goes slack jawed, like, oh my God. And um, he was the company commander in Iraq. I lost another friend, <laughs> boot camp and everything with. And then he was the company commander when we lost my, my close buddy. And it did not go well for him. He, uh, so he got out as a major. I think he was medically separated. Uh, he had some surgeries. I don't know what they were for. He became addicted to opiates, painkillers. Um, I think long addiction seemed like he was still in pretty rough physical shape. But now he's an addiction counselor at a rehab facility uh, up here in town. And he lives in Monument, right on the other side of the highway from me. And so I walk away from this conversation with him. Like we share all this information in probably two minutes, right? And it's just like, and I was shaking. My hand was shaking. His hands were shaking. Like it's a lot. It was just, it was, yeah. It, I, wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting it. It's a Sunday. Kids, you know, I'm thinking yeah. like, you know, whatever. But um, I, I get out, I get, the, I get my, my kids into the car seats and I call my wife. And I go, hey, I just, I just saw my commanding officer from Afghanistan, and like I'm shaking right now. It was just, and so the way that I explained it to her was, it's like you're you're at a restaurant and you're eating a meal, and all of a sudden a fucking giraffe comes running through the restaurant, and it's like, yo. You don't belong in here. You should be in your fucking cage. Get back in your cage. Mm. That's what that's what this was. It was like you don't like to this guy, like you don't belong in my life anymore. You're you should be shelved up here, away, put away, orderly, nice and neat. Um, like I've dealt with you and all of you, all of your all of my memories. Like you, you've been sorted, you've been processed. I don't deal with you anymore. I've moved on. I'm a dad. I, you know, deal with real estate shit. I, you know, have normal domestic problems now. And, um, but seeing the giraffe run through the restaurant was so startling that it just brought up And the way I explained it to Rachel is, you know, on Saturday, if I had thought of that moment standing on the crater, looking into this huge crater from where my buddy had died, I wouldn't have had an emotional reaction, but because I was, I, I came face to face with it at this restaurant. Now, all of a sudden the emotion welled up and all of a sudden all that color popped back into the memory. Like it wasn't black and white. It wasn't, um, you know, dulled down anymore. It was, it was real. So I spent the rest of the day just kind of in this weird haze of like emotional remembering. 
But the reason this story, I think, really is is uh, um, pertinent to Veterans Day is here's a man, this guy, who was my commanding officer, and he got out as a major, and he was in charge of 150 Marines in Afghanistan, and he has clearly had a rough go of it since. And I don't say that in any sort of degrading way or any judgment or anything. It's just his journey has not been an easy one since that moment in Afghanistan. I mean, Providence. Has not, Providence, are, yeah. I mean, it's sometimes, sometimes it comes down to, the, to that, you know, or just the bounce of the ball or, or whatever it might be, you know. Like, sorry, keep going. Well, I, I mean, that's... Exactly what it is. I agree 100%. And I've been incredibly lucky. And when I got out, I had, uh, you know, I got divorced and I left the military and I was broke. And, but my parents let me stay with them while I got back on my feet. Like I had this convalescence period, right? And I, I went back to school. And so there was really like four years where, when I was getting my undergrad that I could just be useless and still be productive. If that mm-hmm. makes, that makes yeah. And then I extended it by getting the masters. You know? yeah. And, and so, but, and then I met an incredible woman who I'm like, I now know I'm very lucky to have met because we work well together and we have two beautiful children and, I have been so lucky and have been able to navigate the reintegration to society as a civilian, um, largely due to circumstance. And whereas this guy who you would think started at, you know, at a better position than I did, I was younger. I had less maturity. I had less resources. Um, and for whatever reason, I was able to navigate things not better, just, you know, they were easier for me. But it didn't matter because in that moment when we saw each other and we, we shared that moment together last Sunday, it was like this shock to the system for both of us. I could tell he was affected by it and I was affected by it. And... Um, one of the things I was talking about with Rachel that night was it's interesting because it's been 11 years, 11 and a half years. I see this guy and all of the, the, the hierarchy of the military is gone. He's not my commanding officer. I'm not an NCO. Um, it's just two dudes in a shitty diner in monument sharing an intense moment together remembering in a way that we, neither one of us wanted to a very startling moment from a, over a decade in the past and i just think that that encapsulates what it, i can't speak to every veteran's experience but i can speak to my experience which i think applies to a lot of combat veterans, a lot of guys who went over and saw what I saw or worse. And 
the successful guys, the guys who succeed in reintegrating and then getting back to it, you know, I would say, are able to compartmentalize, shelve that shit and move on. Um, and the ones who struggle are less capable of doing that. I'm not saying that they're less capable people. They just struggle more with, with compartmentalizing their experiences. Said, um, you said a line that you just said about your then commanding officer, not better, but easier for me, you know? And that's, I think that's what you're saying right now is that like, you know, some people can do it. I mean, I don't know. They might, it's so hard to, to figure it, to, to put your finger on like, Hey, is it the, <laughs> is it the nature or is it the nurture of the person? Right. Mm-hmm. Does he have, does he not have the, the natural, is he like born with different, um, not as good as ability for me, for him, for whoever it might be to readapt. Or should he have, I don't know, are things that he could have done to, he or she could have done to help get back into society or something? Um, but it's, it's, it, you can have that debate, but but sometimes it's just like, you know, it's the kind of the hand you're dealt, you know, it's easier for some than, than others, you know. But, uh, but what, uh, yeah, go ahead, you go ahead. I, I kind of jumped in again. Well, I don't really know if I have any, like, clear um, an easy way to so it was yeah so right so nowadays right nowadays you know um coming back into civilian life is you know not how was it for you well i mean it, it's interesting because i would i would say that most people who meet me now would have no idea that i was in the military let alone an infantry marine yeah. You know, like they just, I, I don't come across like that anymore. And you'd probably take that as like a compliment. I mean, yeah, I, it's a compliment when it comes up, you know, it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not really, yeah, they're, they're, well, there's always like the part, like the guy, the guy side of me. It's like, do shit. <laughs> like you should know that I've been through shit. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that petty side, but yeah. For the most part, like it, it just, but so, you're not you're not there now anymore. You know, here's a like, perfect a yeah. perfect way to to speak to it. I, I, so I've been through, I think three. Uh, I've been through two serious rounds of therapy for my military experiences. Like for whatever reason, things just you know, life got to a point where it's like, all right, I need to go talk this through with an expert. So I've gone I've gone through that that process twice. And at the end of the second time, which was right after the birth of my first son, you know, we had it like, when you have your first kid, it is a mind fuck. You're like, I'm a failure. I'm not prepared. I need to be a more of a man. Like what am I doing? I'm wasting time. So all that on top of like the stress of life and work and, and handling. And he's saying, of- saying more like they're having the, the son is that you don't, there's not worth in that, or I need to do more. I need to put myself outside of just having it's, a kid. When you have your first kid, it's, it's all a, I'm not for me. Yeah. My response was, um, I need to rise to the occasion and, and be the father and the husband that 
that this child and this wife yeah. and I, that I, I have so yeah. fight a lot and work yeah. a lot to get there. Yeah. And so it's a very startling thing. And I think that kind of shook me. And so a lot of like stuff that was underneath the surface kind of bubbled up from my military time. And so I went and saw a therapist and we did uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, I think is what it's called. Um, it's like, I think there's real mechanics to what's happening, but you basically just like close your eyes and, and retell a moment in all of a sensory detail. If I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. And dude, I just, I got to a point where it's like, I'm indulging. Like I'm, I'm to the point where I'm just indulging in this, this misery. And I came home, I told Rachel, that's the last time I ever talk about this Yeah. Uh, with like a, a, in a therapy session. And I just shelved it, just put it away. And you, you have to work to get to that point. And mm-hmm. it's healthy to ignore your problems, but it's, I think it's healthy that once you've processed it, to stop indulging in it and uh, Rom- romanticizing it or something. Well, that's a huge thing, man. Like I think a lot of veterans come out and they romanticize their experience in their head. And to take another, like kind of like maybe probably crude comparison, it's just like uh, the, the athletes that like always talk about their heyday or, you know, they can't, they never quite, you know, gotten past. That's not a crude comparison. That is probably when it comes down to it, like for like apple for apples, that's yeah. probably one of the best comparisons you can make honestly yeah it's a a competitive endeavor you train you you achieve you have moments of glory and then you're no longer that thing you lose the identity and it goes to like what you just said that girl story about running into that guy at the diner it's like Mm -hmm. come on bro it's good to see you but like i'm 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 10 11 years post in a totally different place, stage, um, be, I don't know, you tell me better or whatever, but just I've already, I've shelved those experiences such that I can be a father, a husband, and and be successful in, in what you're doing professionally, you know, um, which like, you know, to, the, the ability to, to do that allows you to, yeah to move on and the, the and, interesting and, thing is, is it, took, life. It, it took a decade to get there right like it it was a very slow gradual process to get to a place where i could shelve shit and move through life in in a in a semi-comfortable way uh in a nice comfortable just like where i'm not walking out into the street and getting, you know, sensory overload and um, anxiety and stuff like that. But like, just, I I just, I can, I feel like I can be relatively normal now. Mm -hmm. And, but it took a long time and a lot of conversation. One thing that I am definitely, that maybe is a little different than a lot of my peers or just any, a lot of veterans is I'm a talker. I will talk through a thing until people want to fuck you, Tony, I'm done talking to you. Bye. And, um, but, but that helps me process. 
and it's a huge advantage to it, to it is to be a talker and also to be secure um and confident or and um uh, willing willing it just goes with confidence to talk about some hard stuff you know mm-hmm. um it's the best way to under i think it's the best way to under to like get to truth about any truth about self um whether it's bad or good or whatever just a conversation usually for me anyway takes me to a deeper understanding of whatever i'm trying to understand when i'm talking about it with somebody else you know especially i mean with therapy you know i had i i i i I see a therapist every like two three weeks Mm -hmm. and i saw him today or actually i talked to him on the phone um and uh oh, and again, your, te- your therapy sessions i, I forgot it. i forgot about i forgot about it <laughs> i forgot about i forget about my therapy thing like you know it's awesome every other time and you know, like i'm sorry andy it's nothing against you bro right not, you I'm feel not, guilty for i'm not like showing yeah 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 i'm not like i i value our time i value our time <laughs> but like i just got this new job i left home depot and I got a frick, I got a ton of lumber in the back, and like everything's good with me, and everything's fine. And how about everything's? I think everything's good. I'm, I'm content, and yeah. and, I, and I and I border on happiness. And he's yeah. like, it's dangerous, dangerous territory. <laughs> he's like, all right, but uh, we got to do a uh, you know session. I'm like, okay, fine, sorry, but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> see you in a week. <laughs> You're not charging me for this, are you? <laughs> I am. I am. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, a, like a thirty dollar phone call. Like a lawyer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Um, anyway, um, we can keep rapping all night long if you want. Well, but like, you got, anything else you want to hit? You know, or talk about I, I, on veterans? You and Day. I before before we started recording. Yeah. Um, I think. I think something that I wish and and to tie it all back in, like I got in a lot of trouble in boot camp because uh, my way of processing difficult situations is to not laugh your your way through it. Yeah. And even if I deep down inside understand the seriousness, the gravity of the situation, um, superficially I'm laughing about it. And I, that's, that's eased a lot since, you know, I've gotten older, but one thing that I wish uh, more of, of my peers or just veterans in general could do would be to not take themselves so seriously, like take what happened seriously, respect the moments that deserve to be respected, but also, you know, just kind of don't be so uptight about what happened to you. Like the, the only way that you're able to, you're going to be able to survive in this life is if you just loosen up a bit and find some joy in, in normal moments. And I know they do. And and so I don't want this to sound patronizing or anything or like lecturing or like I have a secret. They don't. I just, no. for a lot of my, my peers, I, I wish that they could just, you know, loosen up some 
And I think that it goes a long way. Laugh at yourself some. Don't take yourself so seriously. Like we were all young kids and um, we experienced, we pushed ourselves to the brink. Yeah. Full of occasions and we should be proud of that. But um, we were also idiots who did a lot of shit that I won't re- repeat on a recorded, you know, Zoom call. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but we were kids. We were, we were kids. And, um, and we were asked to do very adult things and, um, yeah, I don't know. Just it's well said. I mean, it's well said. Loosen up a bit. Um, I mean, you, uh, kind of, you got, you got in, you chose military almost to find yourself or to grow up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Some people, I think from what I've gathered sort of from our conversation, sometimes people choose military to to uh um to prove themselves um which i think is different um and like you've said it on a couple occasions um to your ability to to shelve to shelve things you know if it's uh i mean if if um taking the approach that like hey i am like GI Joe, I am military, you know, I am this, it's like, it can be detrimental, I would think. And like, to be able to be like, all right, that was then, all right, as best I can, I can compartmentalize it and move on. And like you said it, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of sense of humor, you know, like, absolutely. Um, And I guess sometimes it can be hard when you're in, you know, harms, 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 harms way. But like, I don't know if you've lost that, you might, might have lost everything. Well, here's, um, here's a perfect story to go with that, man. We were that, that javelin shot where I took out the uh, or maybe didn't, but, you know, shot at the machine. Uh, gun. Silence. I got up on the berm. So I had to expose myself to take the shot. And sorry, my dog is. Um, and. They were shooting at me. And they they knew that I had something on my shoulder, and they're around, cracking by me. And so I was a little nervous getting up there. I'm not gonna lie, you know, mm-hmm. was puckered up. <laughs> and uh, I, I had to take my my helmet off so that I could see through the, the lens correctly, the the sight. And anyways, I'm fully exposed up on the sperm. Very very critical moment of the day. And uh, rounds are flying by within feet or inches. You know, they're cracking past me. And um, you see them as like light. Like, like I, I'm, looking, I'm looking through the site. I'm yeah. not like I am in this site. You're, you're not taking. Yeah. You know. I can hear the rounds as they That's crack. Spectating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ignoring it as much as I can. And um, but the the. the <laughs> The sight is what I'm seeing is it's blacked out. And so I'm going through, I literally went through like uh, air commands and like trying to reboot the system because the sight's blacked out. And I probably did that for about 30 seconds. It felt like five minutes, but I was probably up there for 30 seconds, fully exposed, running through all of my like diagnostic tests of the, the, the site unit 
it's called the command launch unit that the missile's attached to, trying to get this thing to work. And then I realized the lens cover was still on the site. Uh-huh. And oh, it's like the camera that your dad's using that, you know. Right. Yeah, take off the, thing, it's, the it's, lens. It's, yes. And, and I, I had, I don't know, at least a couple of Taliban dudes trying to kill me. Yeah. And I realized this lens cover on. So I remember sitting up and my buddy was sitting right here and he'd been trying to film it with a camera. The camera, luckily, the battery had died um, while I was trying to figure this out. And uh, so there's no evidence we have we have a video of of the javelin shot but no evidence that the lens cover was on but i i outside of your testimonial right he's my buddy's looking at me from behind the berm and i'm looking at him and i reach over and i i i grab the lens cover and i take it off and i gave him the little like heads up nod like i'm an idiot (laughs) and then i went back and I just hear him start laughing his ass off. And like, there's machine gun fire going off. I mean, it is in the uh-huh. middle of firefight, Frankie stuff. And um, Jesus Christ, to be able to be able to do that and laugh. Like, yeah, you just got to laugh about it, dude. Like, I, I know. I think you're the exception to the rule. Like, I am and, and, and like, enough brain damage where that, yeah. Yeah. Like, you're not wrong, bro. You're not wrong at all. Like, um, it's kind of funny that when you're like, when everything started to go on, right. You felt very relaxed mm-hmm. and like a little bit of a euphoria, as you say, but like, that's, uh, that's, that's serious. Like, you know, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. That's either just you, who your DNA, how you're built. everyone got a similar sort of like training you know Mm -hmm. but like and and, then i get probably you you probably have talked about this with your your guys over there and whatever Mm -hmm. like did you feel like that like it felt really relaxed and felt really good and like i don't think you probably many people would would say like yeah i felt like that too (laughs) i would say enough people uh experience like tangentially experience that uh, you know, kind of in closing, I think a, a really good um, little story that that highlights that is mm-hmm. so after. So our very our first day out on that five day operation was the sun was setting, and the Taliban hit us with like I don't know seven or eight RPGs, uh, a bunch of machine gun fire, like from like 180 or 270 degrees, like they were hitting us from all angles. It was a very intense like. 10 or 11 minutes. And we shot 50% of our ammunition that we brought out with us in order to achieve any sort of fire superiority and suppress the enemy. And uh, we fired so much ammo the next morning, they had to fly in an ammo resupply helicopter to resupply us that then got shot uh, or shot at. So after that first night, that first big fire, it was the first big firefight of that scale that any of us had been in. We're all sitting in my vehicle with my platoon commander, me, my driver, my dismount, and my gunner. And it's nighttime, and it's really cool. Like we've got our white and black thermal uh, heads-up displays uh, down, 
And um, so we're like watching our sector of fire in front of us while we're all in there eating MREs in the dark and it's, it's nighttime and it's probably like 11 or 12 at night. There's five grown men that just went through one of the most intense experiences that we ever would you know, had or will go through. And I don't remember what was said, but we all started to giggle, like <laughs> uncontrollable giggling. Um, and like, you know, to the point where your sides hurt and, and oh like, my God, belly yeah, laughing, dude. But, but it was, it was just the most, you were shaking with this like high pitched squealing laughter and it, every, all five of us, it was infectious. All five of us went through it. And I'm sure that there was some sort of like stress release happening there. Um, cathartic. Yeah. Very cathartic, but it, but it, it, it was just a release. We all went through it. And I know, I know that a lot of guys go through a variation of that. Um, but we just happened to be lucky in that the catalyst, whatever the catalyst had been, I can't remember what the comment was or what the conversation was, had been humor. So, like, we went through our little hysteria, our hysterical moment where we, our body was, like, shunting all of this built-up adrenaline and chemical and tension, whatever but we were doing it through humor. And so I remember that, like that memory to me is a fond one. And, and it was yeah. a one with, with everyone in the truck. And uh, a lot of guys aren't lucky enough for the catalyst to be a, a, a funny moment. And but I was, and we were in the truck that night and I never had a, a release like that again. You know, I never had a moment where, I had that much tension because every firefight from then on out, I just was more and more comfortable and everyone was more and more comfortable because we're becoming more and more experienced, but. Did someone crack a joke? I, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> joke. I, and I have no idea what the, it was probably just wait, wait, a simple or, joke. Like yeah. Why the chicken crossed the road and then it started squealing. laughing and it just carried on because of kind of what you just been through. And it just carried on. So I'm, I'm thinking, and 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 I know that we're running long. So um, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, whatever you, yeah. What are you saying? My, so the when I say that that veterans lose their identity, um, their identity stripped away as they get out of the military. The version of that that I want people who who might not have experienced this to understand because there's a lot of hubris involved here is when you're 21, 22 years old, say you're a team leader or a squad leader, or just like, you know, you fill in as a squad leader. Um, I want you to picture walking through an Afghanistan village. You're in prime shape, you know, best shape of your life. And you've got six, seven, eight Marines out in the formation around you. They're all studs. They're all badass, and they're they're in the best shape of their life. And they listen to you. They answer to you in this moment. And you've got radios on your person that you could call in an airstrike or a medevac 
or an artillery strike if you needed it. You could call in QRF, which quick reaction force. You could call in 100, 200 Marines could be there within an hour or two, right? Like you are, you are God walking through this village. You could destroy, you could flatten this village. You are capable and able. Like this is a, this is within your capability. If somebody looks at you, you look back with that knowledge, with that hubris and that ego and that swagger of, I could flatten everything you know. I could destroy it all. And I'm 21, 22 years old. Now, compare that to getting out of the military and sitting in a college classroom, having, ex- having, having tasted that kind of uh, perceived power, and now you're just a college student and nobody cares and nobody understands what you've been through. And or what you had achieved, that taste of power that you'd gotten to. And that those are the moments where like you're this just like you're throwing a temper tantrum in your head, like, don't you know who I am? Don't you uh-huh. understand what I was able to do? I want Domino's pizza. I will I bring me my <laughs> my pizza. I'm a combat veteran. <laughs> You bet you repeated that line over. I am a combat. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. And that's just, you got to get right with that, man. You got to get to a place where, all right, nobody cares. I can die knowing that I did it. um, And nobody can take that away from me. But nobody else truly cares or understands you know nobody will no nobody other than another person who went through it will ever be able to recognize what that felt like and that's truly truly empathize yeah that's why seeing that officer you know at the diner in that way it's like there's this brief moment where you're standing across and somebody truly gets it and you the weird, the weird thing is you don't, you don't want to be in that position anymore. I don't want other people to get it. I, I just want to move on and be who I am now and be okay with that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't, what you went through has put, has gotten, has helped you get to where you are now, you know, not like, not like you, not like, um, don't, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Not like you regret being being in the military and didn't doing what you did, you know. No, but then, but then, but no. that, but that, but that thing sort of like came to an end. Shelve it, compartmentalize it, think about it, talk about it, work on it, such that it can stay on the shelf, so you can move on with life. That's exactly it. That is a perfect summary. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You should tell my wife that. Tell my wife that you think that way. <laughs> Go wake her up. <laughs> yeah, he's actually, he, Rachel, he's actually a pretty decent guy. I, I about him, buddy. <laughs> um, you, but you're like, you're a, uh, you're an impressive cat, you know. You know yourself. I, I appreciate that. Man. Yeah, I mean, the I, most, the, uh, the most, 
like Shakespeare said it, like to that own self be true. To know yourself is the hardest, I think the hardest thing in life to really, really know, you know, and be secure with yourself and how you feel and to allow for that to come out and everything you do as, 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 as much as you, you can do, you know what I'm saying is hard. So, and you're, you're real, bro, you know, cause thank you. You got it, man. Um, I'm going to play a lot. Yeah. Can't wait to see you. you I know. was, I was looking at tickets just a couple days ago. I got to get out there. I'm, I'll try and get out there either probably in January is what I'm hoping. Let's look at uh, let's look at some properties. Yeah, so, yeah, off once we get off the call, real quick, you're gonna have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. I will. What do we got looking up here? Oh yeah, close it out. <laughs> I. So this, they were still doing shit like this. Uh, they were hooking up speakers and playing like heavy metal music and stuff as like cyber uh, operations in in combat. Say again. So, uh, like in Fallujah, like the Battle of Fallujah, I know they did this. They had these giant speakers up on Humvees and tanks, and they would blast like Metallica as uh-huh. they going through the streets and blowing up buildings and. Just that might be like, yeah, it's, 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 it's metal as fuck, dude. Like that's metal metal. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, so this scene, right. From apocalypse now, the, the, the helicopters are, are like flying in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the helicopters have big ass speakers on them. Yeah. Play playing. It's not just piped in as part of like the soundtrack. You know no, what I'm saying? They're literally actual, actual. "Quote unquote actual music in the movie, like how like, like the, the Viet Cong or like oh shit, how is coming like, over the top, like badass, like yeah. you know, it's coming in a, there. It's a this great movie moment, and also and also to think that you know realistically, you think you can really hear the speakers that powerful to project the the music over the sound of the helicopters, my plates." Butt. Yeah, my gut says no, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would, I, I would like to believe that it was possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so stupid. It's awesome. All right. Corporal Peck. Happy Veterans Day, bro. Thanks, man. You got it, man. Thanks for thanks for like carving out the time, you know, as the father of, you know, well, young, young thanks to you. It's it's the East Coast. It's two, it's two ten on your right. What time it's is one one fifteen? One fifteen over there. Oh so. my god. I'll be, I'll be all right. All I gotta do is wake up tomorrow and be me. There you go. So I got it's not that, you know, when that didn't if you're ever struggling, just you know. Wake up and be you, bro. Just be you, you know. Just don't right. suck. Don't be a shitty version of yourself. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm hitting stop. All right, man. All right, bro. Thank you.